And quite frankly, uh, I had, had those folks in, in many steps of my, my career, uh, in college, in school, and, and, and founding a company that, yeah, I trusted and could do things together, and they helped me. Some of them were a little bit older, so there was some experience they brought in. That helps, because obviously as a 25-year-old kid, you don't know shit. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Max Ament, who is a super smart, super nice, super bearded, super German dude who is the founder of not only one, but two companies, including a startup here in San Francisco called Talia, whose valuation is now approaching $1 billion with a B. This episode, probably more than any other episode that I've ever done, is, I think, really important for anyone to listen to. Max gives such great advice throughout the entire episode, um, and any advice that he gives for a startup can easily be applied to anyone at any job, at any age, Um, with any sort of background. Um, A lot of my questions during the episode revolve around what type of person Max is and his background, because I really wanted to get to the core of in kind of the psychology of what type of a person can start a $1 billion company and how different a person like that is from you or me and kind of what cloth they're cut from. And is it just completely different cloth from us? Um, And the good news is, as you'll hear, it sounds like he's cut from a very similar cloth to the rest of us. Um, He's just taken life and his business one step at a time and always had the balls to dream big and go after what he wanted, which alone I think are two great lessons. So without further ado, here is Max with Founding a Startup. All right. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, the Max. Max, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So typically at the beginning of an episode, I will go over a person's background and where they're from and how they kind of got to the position that they're in. But I feel like for this particular episode, it'll be really pertinent to have you kind of go over some of those details yourself. So how do you even get to the point that, I mean, we're now sitting in a beautiful skyscraper in San Francisco. Um, This whole entire office building is here in part because of you. Where did you come from? How did this happen? What's your background? Yeah, um, so how did it happen? Um, so I came to the US 10 years ago, but let's start a little bit earlier, I guess. So um, I'm German, obviously. You heard that beautiful accent, <laughs> uh, and I won't get rid of that one. Um, I studied math uh, with computer science uh, back in the 90s, I guess, in Germany, in my hometown. So I never left my hometown uh, uh, to go abroad. Um, I want to be, a, uh, after, after I left college, uh, want to get uh, into computer games. Uh, wrote a couple of applications um, to the one or two computer games companies that existed in Germany. There isn't more. Uh, did obviously get rejected. And, uh, Were you a gamer at the time? Did you play yeah, a lot of yeah, games? Yeah, I was actually like Ultima Online and all that good stuff was, yeah. uh, was, was, was the thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but didn't get in. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the second best thing in Germany, I guess, is uh, working for SAP. Uh, for those of you who don't know SAP, big software software house, enterprise software. So I applied for a job there, uh, got rejected uh, the first time, which is an interesting story by itself. But a um, couple of weeks later, I tried again, different department, and got a job. Got a job into in their accounts payable software engineering department. That was not quite uh, gaming, I guess. 
but uh, I'll took it and it actually was a lot of fun to develop software in that space. Um, so I did. Stayed there for a couple of years and had my first startup then. Um, first startup. I left then SAP because it was a little bit too big for me, a little bit too corporate. Um, had my first startup with two friends from SAP. And fast forward, uh, came to the US in 2005, sold the first startup in 2006, and um, yeah, been here ever since with my family. Okay, let's uh, let's zoom into that part that, that you go over in just one sentence of where you create your first startup. So you've got a couple of friends that work with you at SAP at the time, yeah. And the the your first startup is a company that works with SAP, correct? Yes. That's okay. correct, yeah. yeah. So uh, I met those guys at SAP first day when I started SAP. They started as well. And uh, yeah, we became friends and uh, exchanged ideas. And then in, it was June 2000, like everything was pretty fucked up uh, economy-wise. The dot-com bubble and so on yeah. just burst. And that was then the time when we thought we need to have a startup, like a little bit late, but yeah. nevertheless we did it. So left SAP then in June 2000. We didn't know quite what we want to do. We just knew something outside, something for our own, perhaps a little bit consulting. We had a couple of product ideas. So you guys had money saved up at this point? Uh, no, that would be, no, not really. <laughs> like, I was 25, so yeah. there wasn't the money I saved. for. I worked for one and a half or two years for SAP, uh, similar to the others. So, um, but what made it possible is that we actually, the day we left, we, we, we pretty much got a, got a consulting gig with SAP. So we left SAP and got a consulting gig oh, with wow, SAP. Nice. So we could work for SAP. Uh, the three on of us. your time exactly and on the side think about a product and expanding and hiring more folks and that's 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 how it worked so we did that for a couple of years came up with our product idea and uh, bootstrapped the whole thing so meaning we never raised outside money no angel investment no VC we just used that consulting money to get things going to and, fund the uh, entire thing exactly and build a product on the side is that typically an easier uh, method if you are making a service I guess as opposed to like a product that you need to come up with and yeah, I mean, first of all, so we didn't have really the product idea, right? And in, in, in when we when we founded the company in 2000, we knew we knew a couple of things, the spaces where we worked on controlling accounts payable, media. One of my co-founders, but we didn't quite know what what will fly. And then so consulting was actually the only thing that we could do because that's what we knew. Um, uh, it was I don't know if the question was around venture capital angel investing as well because. I think I didn't even know that something like that existed in, yeah. in, in, in those days. Uh, or it, it, it definitely it's not available in Germany in 2000 or not a lot. Yeah. Um, so there was no other option than bootstrapping it, doing the consulting, it built the product over time on the side. Yeah. And then 2001, two, we had actually a product that we sold. And even then, we still did consulting. And we, we cut the consulting, I think, in 2004. So very conservative, very slowly growing and using always the consulting to feed the business. So one of my biggest questions um, that I think can apply to anybody with what they're doing if they want to try to start any type of business is how do you develop a confidence in yourself and what you're doing and a belief? You know, I, a lot of um, inspirational, motivational people will say, if you really believe in yourself, like if you really believe you can do something, you can do whatever you want. And I certainly believe in that. But it's there's a big difference between telling yourself, oh, yeah, I have confidence. I, I believe I can do this and, and truly having confidence and truly believing that you're going to succeed. How, being a 25-year-old kid in Germany, do you think to yourself uh, or do you even think to yourself about what the next step would be or you're only thinking about the step that you're on and is that kind of key? I think, I think what helped me or what made it possible uh, in, in 2000, uh, being a 25-year-old kid, I didn't think that far ahead. I didn't think uh, 
like I didn't believe in an idea. I didn't believe in entrepreneurship. I just, just didn't see a lot of risk, to be honest. I mean, I lose my job and I'll find another one. Yeah. So why not trying it? So um, just not being naive a little bit, a little bit ignorant. Yeah. Um, that helped me at least. Um, and having not doing things alone. So I'm not that guy that if I would be alone, I wouldn't dare to, yeah. to, to, to start a company. I, I totally need those folks around me, with me, together, that uh, help brainstorming ideas and get things going. Yeah. That, that, that thing helped. And, yeah, and quite frankly, uh, I had, had those folks in, in many steps of my, my career, uh, in college, in school, and, and, and founding a company that, yeah, I trusted and could do things together, and they helped me. Some of them were a little bit older, so there was some experience they brought in. That helps. Because obviously, as a 25-year-old kid, you don't know shit. Yeah, it's probably really good to have an age range. So there's more experience on the one end, and then, like you said, your mind and head isn't all caught up in what the next step is, which the older person can really use. That. True, it's very true. So, all right, the three of you guys start that company. You were doing that for what six years before you yeah. sold it? Yeah, 2000 to 2006. So, in in that time, you came over here to America as well. Yeah, oh five. Okay, five, I came over with my wife. Why was that, um, and, and what happened? Yeah, so we looked. Uh, we looked for expansion, so we, we were quite successful in 2004 and five in Europe, a little bit in Australia, so we had a subsidiary, uh, we're in Germany, but we, we branched out a little bit to, to, to Poland, we had a subsidiary, did some business in the UK and France, and we thought, right, um, and we had a partner at this time as well that was, was global, globally active, so we thought at this time it might make sense to go for the biggest market, and we looked for a volunteer to go to, San Fran- or to, to the United States to set up a subsidiary for six, nine months, and then back home to Germany. There was a master plan in 2005. Um, so I volunteered. Uh, I was in a great position to pick the location. So I said Boston, New York, San Francisco. It's not all horrible choices. Yeah. So we decided on, on San Francisco with all the downsides it has. It's nine hours time difference. It's a 12-hour flight. So it's not great. Just from Business collaboration. Exactly. Yeah. On the other side, it's Silicon Valley. Uh, you have access to engineering, to companies. And it's freaking awesome here, let's yeah. face it. So for yeah. six, nine months, uh, it's not a bad location to be. Came here with my wife, and after six or nine months, I realized that I don't want to go back. She fell in love with it. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, so it happens yeah. to everyone that comes here. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I don't have to explain that part, I guess. Yeah. So, it, okay. Take me through a little bit more detail of the, the growth phase between when you had the idea for that first company to when you're getting clients, how you're getting those clients. And then like you talk about coming over here um, to try to make, you know, establish a business here in San Francisco. I imagine you already have some contacts here at that point. It's not like you just show up, get off the plane with your bags right. and say, hey, who wants to do business with me? So, so yeah, good, idea, good, good question. So, Let's, let's start with the, the first customer. So again, we, we did a lot of consulting at the beginning, and through the consulting, we actually got one or two customers uh, ready in, in Germany still. Um, and I think what was key for, for our whole success with the company, we, we, we found the right partnership. Very early on, we partnered with a Swedish company. Fast forward, the company that acquired us then in 2006. Yeah. But that company helped us grow. They had a global sales team in 16 countries. They had already customers and prospects. So we didn't have to focus on that piece. And so they're a company that you were working for as consultants for SAP? Kind of, kind of. They had a product on their own and they hired us first as consultants to implement their product for SAP shops. Uh, We realized that product that they have sucked. So uh, (laughs) we just made it better, much better. Um, Build a little, and it's a very boring topic, a workflow product for uh, accounts payable. Uh, But we built that in a pretty, pretty new way, in a pretty innovative way, that that product. Um, and we're very successful with that. This, this product, to this date, uh, is used by about 800 
of the global 5,000 companies. So Apple down in Cupertino, Intel, um, Kellogg's. I don't share any secrets here. That's they all incredible. Use, they all use that little product that we built 2002-03. What is that called? The invoice cockpit. All right. The invoice cockpit. As I said, very exciting space. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm seriously love now uh, finance and accounts payable. But yeah, if you just hear it, it's not super exciting, I guess. So how much did you guys sell that for when you sold it? Ah, well, it was... I don't know. So. It wasn't really SaaS, right? It was one-time license sales, sales, so not okay. recurring. But let's say, I don't know, projects were anything from about $100,000, $200,000, plus professional services. Yeah. I think those were the steel sizes. Some were larger, larger corporations, but yeah, that's, that's perhaps about it. But so, I mean, when in 2006, when, that, when, the, when your whole business what, got sold off to the Swedish company, yep. I imagine that was a pretty big payday for you? Uh, it's public numbers. I think we got at the end uh, $8 million US dollars for wow. the business. So, so yeah, it was big. I mean, all right, for, for investing nothing and uh, yeah. So this is a major question that I have: is when you and your you know late twenties, early thirties mm. become a millionaire all of a sudden, mm. how like what makes all of these wonderful entrepreneurs like yourselves keep going back and trying to start new companies? Like how come you don't just say, man, it would be really great to just travel the world for the next ten years and uh, just like yeah. sit on a nice beach somewhere and yeah. with a cocktail in my hand? Well, for, for, first of all, uh, eight million and divided to the three—it's not enough for fucking right. money. Right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's true. That uh, is true. So you can do some nice things, which yeah, probably did, like down payment for the house and go on a longer vacation. So it's all good things. But things get incredibly boring fast. I mean, and, and I had a good time, by the way, for two or three years. I worked for the acquiring company. Had a really good gig there. Helped them to get this US business going that I started together with them, and very successful, fun. Uh, learned a lot in that time. And then, uh, yeah, and just we had it all the time in, in, in us. Uh, not with my co-founders; they were back in Germany. But some other folks I, I met along the way, which are now my, my co-founders of the new company, yeah. uh, Bertram, Philip, Martin. So we kept in contact, brainstormed ideas uh, in those two, three years when we, uh, when myself at least, had to stay at the acquiring company again. It was a fun time. But then in two thousand eight, nine, we decided we're ready to try the next one because. Again, it was unfinished business that we had. We, we built this workflow solution um, that helped companies to do a certain piece, but there was one more piece that we could do at the end of that uh, value chain, and that was our big idea, and that's what we did then in 2009. Yeah. Like pretty much building on what we did with the first startup, taking that idea to the next level with the second startup. So take me through that process now. I mean, now you're at this larger company that is Talia. Uh, I mean, take me through like the the founding days, I guess, or, or exactly when you make that decision. Yeah. Um, and it, it, did you have to get funding this time to do yes, that? Yes, I'll explain that. So in 2008, nine, uh, the four of us that now are the co-founders of, of Talia, we stayed in contact. We met on weekends and uh, um, over Skype or in person, and 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 had a, had a, had a few ideas and startups on the side already. So not myself because I, I worked, so I didn't have time. But but Philip had already started up in the mobile space, and we brainstormed around that one. It didn't fly, uh, so shut that down. End of two thousand eight, and then in two thousand nine we decided, right, let's try it. Two thousand nine was a good time because uh, all of us were, were kind of were available. Meaning, Bertram could come from Germany over to the US. Um, I. Uh, Got my green card finally. That was quite an important piece. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, in 2009, Philip was available. Martin was available. So that was timing-wise. It was just a good time. 2009. The economy was actually now a favor. The 2008 uh, uh, nine economy downturn for the product that we built at Talia was actually pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, not that I want to have it again, but uh, uh, we're now in a in a in a yeah 
working capital dynamic discounting and I don't want to go into details on that one that's our business here but that came uh, a pretty big topic in 2008-9 because companies just didn't pay suppliers anymore early they Anheuser-Busch famously pushed out payment terms to four months so as a supplier to Anheuser-Busch I had to wait four or five months four. for my money and that's actually where we came in with an idea of hey it doesn't have to be that way we can change that so 2008-9 helped actually a little bit kickstart the idea of Taulia so that's why it was a good idea and um Did we think about funding from the beginning? We thought about it and tried some half-baked pitches with VCs. It didn't go anywhere because, yeah, we, we just weren't convinced and, and weren't well prepared. So we tried for a year to sell the software, go to trade shows, all the good stuff. And uh, then in 2010, we got a little bit more serious with pitching VCs. And at the same time, we found our first customers. And those two things together then helped us. We actually started not pitching VCs. We started pitching angels. Um, So What is the difference between an angel and a VC? Well, angels are typically individuals, uh, wealthy individuals that uh, that invest smaller smaller checks uh, into a company, and then there are angel angel groups, band of angel angel forum. Those those are two investors. Where then twenty thirty of those individuals come together, put money together, and invest. And VCs that do that just more on a yeah as a larger profession. Scale. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, so uh, we started pitching some VCs and. Uh, There was this new tool that was uh, 2009, just just not 2010, sorry, uh, popped up uh, called Angel List, yeah. where you as a company could sign up, and then angels could like look at it, and then VCs could look at it too, and and we were the first startup actually on Angel List that were featured there uh, that got VC funding, venture capital funding on Angel List. So not only angel funding but VC funding. Yeah, so that uh, that all happened then in 2010 together with first customer investment, and then. Then things got better. So before the investment, you already had a completely working yeah. program, completely yeah. working yeah. setup, and everything. The first version that was sellable. Yeah, it's, I mean we're still developing. In that that first customer of yours, um, was that someone that you guys knew? Um, that or did you again, sell to them? Or yeah, how did that work? again, it was Pfizer. So uh, wow, that's a big first. <laughs> exactly. That 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 helped in raising money. Yeah. Um, uh, again, it was through a partnership. Actually, uh, there was a partner in a, in an adjacent space. That looked for someone that could help out, and we had a, a product that fit that uh, description quite well. So together we went into Pfizer, made a value proposition, and got in. And then we could show to our potential future investors that we can sell into Pfizer. And Pfizer was happy too that we got investment, so it helped everyone. Yeah, timing was a little bit of a problem. You see, I mean, it's a chicken egg thing to show each party that you're there. Oh yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that um, earlier on you did try to pitch to some uh, angels and some VCs. What is that like? Is that just terrifying? Uh, yeah. And I'm, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the first ones. Now, now I think we got used to it. Although my 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 co-founder Bertram is way more used to it. He did hundreds of those, uh, but I, I did many myself as well, together with him. Um, but the first ones, we just we didn't know what to expect. We didn't we didn't prepare right. We went in with our German mindset of we tell them what we really think. Uh, we didn't think big uh, when it comes to. A year or two or three in advance, what will be the revenues? So yeah, we learned all that. You got to think big here. You got to you got to sell your idea yeah. uh, a little bit bigger than Germans. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we learned that now. But the first meetings were horrible, and yeah, I just I remember somewhere, just people didn't get it. People, we got those usual questions. Oh, that's what you do is more a feature than a than a company. I mean, you got that dozens of times, I guess, not dozens, but too many times. Yeah, yeah. Where as if that somehow matters in any way. Yeah, it's like uh, anyway. And people didn't understand what we do, and we didn't explain ourselves well. Yeah. So if, like, when you went on AngelList um, and you had some VCs back you through there, when VCs back 
a early stage startup, do they provide um, like business coaching and stuff like that? Like how you are supposed to take this to the next level? Yeah. Or they just cut you a check and say good luck? No, we actually. Uh, it depends. I mean, there's there's. I think it's called dump money, and there's uh, uh, investors that are uh, uh, more helpful. And we actually chose investors uh, along the way for the last five, six years uh, that can help us in certain areas. Let me give you a couple of examples. So the first investors, um, we had some angels, many angels. They're still part of, of our investment community, and they provide helpful introductions. They still do. Um, so do our investors. Uh, Matrix, uh, Josh Henna is one of our board members. Um, super helpful in coaching us, Bertram, um, and, and providing, again, introductions, providing introductions to potential employees. Yeah. That, that totally great. Uh, Noel Fenton uh, of, of Trinity Ventures, um, an investor in Talia and a board member, he is or he was on the board of SciQuest, which is kind of a competitor, no, competitor is wrong, but a potential partner of Talia, similar space. So he had a lot to say about SaaS, about uh, uh, purchase to pay, about the space we play in. Um, so that was super helpful. Uh, fast forward, we now added uh, um, a couple of investors them, in Europe, Lakestar and Zook, uh, because we want to go into Europe. So we needed some yeah. footprint in Europe. So we, we actively looked for investors that could help us out there. Um, uh, EDBI, the Singapore Development Board, is an investor in Talia because soon, at one point, we need to go to Asia. So having support from the Singapore government is, is likely a nice thing. Yeah. Um, so in a couple of other uh, areas where we looked for verticals, like banks, uh, two banks now investors in Talia where yeah they provide some expertise and some introductions yeah so we, we look not for for the dump money we really look for yeah for for help for a partner yeah yeah absolutely so if there's someone listening to this right now that has what they think to be a, a good idea or something that they would like to turn into a future for themselves into a business if you could make a recipe for what it is that uh, makes a startup able to thrive and able to be successful in terms of like what parts um, hard work, what parts actually it being a good idea that the market wants, what part timing and luck, um, and what parts like networking, I guess. If, if let's say like those are the four key things, like hard work, good product, networking, and luck, what, how much of each of those things do you think comes into play? So I think, at least from my experience, and I don't have that recipe, if I would, then... Uh Man, it would be awesome. Uh, but, but, I mean, one thing I can say that timing, I realize, is extremely important. You could have, I think, the, the greatest idea, um, but if the timing is wrong, you just can't fight against it. If, 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 if the space is not ready, let me give you an example. In 2008, Philip was, was, uh, built a, um, a company by the name of Snapper, doesn't matter, and the other co-founders of Talia supported a little bit. And it was about barcodes, those QR codes. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. In 2008, nobody knew about them. So only only in Japan they were like popular, but 2008, yeah. seven, eight, yes, there wasn't. There was, there was just the iPhone just came out. Um, there were no right phones. The camera sucked. So there, the idea was great to build your barcodes on your own, where you can take a picture and it brings you to your Facebook profile and all that beautiful stuff. But 2008, yeah, it's like four cared. or five years too early. Exactly. So wow. uh, there was there was yeah there was one example where. The idea was actually not a bad one. The idea was a pretty good one, but just way too early. You could just can't fight against that. Yeah. You can't change that. Yeah. The greatest idea can't fight against uh, being at the wrong time, too early or too late. Any advice um, through through your wisdom of <laughs> how you can tell if it's uh, like what questions you can ask yourself about your business if it's a good time or if it's not ready or if it's too late or yeah, it's it's a tough one because I mean, if you do too much research. 
uh, which we ever never did for any of our ideas. Uh, if you do too much research, you actually kill the good ideas as well, I feel. So I yeah. would do some basic research. But for Talia, if we would have done real research, uh, like really deep, and would have found out that like uh, uh, a $4 billion company, Reba and JP Morgan and five others, those are our competitors, probably we would have... Been not, terrified. Yeah, terrified and not going into it. The same in, in 2000 or 2001 too, if we went in that workflow space. Like too much, too much, too much due diligence is a little bit hurtful as well. So you, you, I think you need to leave room for, for your ideas. And then the only advice I can give, I think, is you have to try. Try for six months, nine months, whatever the time frame is, depends on your business, on your idea. But then have the balls as well at the end of the day to say, damn, it doesn't work. Let's shut it down. Let's move on. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. And that's, that's, that's what I would do. Just try. Try a year. Try for half a year. And if you see kind of sucks or doesn't take off, yeah, have the courage to say, all right, next one. That's fantastic advice. I, all right, we're going to stick on this topic of advice uh, to kind of close out the interview then. So what kind of milestones do you feel like you've seen uh, or felt that, that Talia has gone through and that your previous company went through that were kind of signs to you like, oh, I think this is working out or this is a, this is a really big step. What just happened? What are, what are those things that have happened throughout the course of your career? Yeah, I, I love sales. Just generally in me, like seeing a customer or a prospect at that stage and then uh, explaining the idea. So as soon as we had our first products in both companies actually and could present it to real customers like really global 2000 buying organizations like big guys uh, had, had, had the audience and can present that was at Abydos that was the first company in Italia the second company uh, we could show it and then people actually understood what we do and you saw it in their eyes that they think it's different that they think it's better than what they have uh, that is the most rewarding and for me the most telling point in time when you know there is a real likelihood that they will buy your software. They will actually use your software. That they actually understand that there is something to do. Right. That's that's yeah. That's for me the best moment. And uh, before that moment, if I don't don't see a customer that bought into the idea, I think it's worth nothing. Yeah, for sure. And you're so right about just I mean, seeing the look in somebody's eyes yes. versus somebody telling you, "Oh, hey, that's a great idea," but you you can tell there's no emotion behind yeah. them saying that. When they tell you it's a great idea and they feel it, you know. Yes, you know exactly. it's. Uh, it's not just an empty compliment. That's exactly, so. that's, that's exactly. It comes from a buyer, from a customer. It comes from someone that will use it, that uh, put their reputation on the line as well if they go with you. So they trust you. Yeah. If, if people start trusting, like Pfizer, start trusting in a little startup of five or six guys uh, in San Francisco, then I think you're on the right track. Yeah. So let's go ahead and end with uh, how has your life changed? So... Now, like I said, we're in this great big building in San Francisco. You have this great business. Has your life changed at all? Is it more hectic, less hectic? Uh, just talk about what comes with success. Well, I, I don't think it's more or less hectic. Uh, it's a little bit more pressure, right? I mean, my, 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 my mid-20s, no family. Uh, things are a little bit more... A little bit more relaxed, I guess. Yeah, you, you just fail, that's fine, and you start over again. So from that perspective, the personal pressure changed a little bit. Like 2009, when we had the second startup, um, I decided to buy a house at this time. My wife decided that she'd want to change jobs. I gave up a well-paid job. There was a little bit more pressure than oh, yeah. uh, those uh, eight, nine years before when we, when we had the first startup. So although we knew more, uh, although we had some, some money on the bank accounts, 
the pressure was actually much higher with, with, with all those circumstances that I just outlined. San Francisco is not cheap, uh, as we know, so yeah, you can go here for six months or nine months, but yeah, after that, you gotta got to find some money. So from that perspective, the, the founding moments compared of, of those two companies, the second one was more, more pressure, the first year was more pressure in the second company, um, but, but other than that, I think it's the same. When you want to be successful, you want to grow, um, things don't get easy. They never get easy. So from uh, just talked to, to Philip, my co-founder, this morning, um, we have another challenge coming up this week, and then, yeah, perhaps in six months things are better. No, they won't. Yeah. There's, there's another one coming up. So, But I enjoyed it, those challenges. Don't get me wrong. But Which, just... by the way, I think is probably a really good note to end on. For anybody that is listening to this that is it has maybe a good idea and they're just waiting for the um, exact right moment when everything lines up yeah. in their life so perfect so they can actually start their business you just need to start it exactly. if you're waiting for this time for everything to line up perfectly you'll just be waiting oh, forever totally. no just fucking do it sorry I mean, <laughs> try it and then if it doesn't work next one but yeah there'll never be the perfect moment yeah no, there isn't a perfect moment yeah awesome max thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you sir